welcome you this morning to the Lord's house. We want to make a start by singing hymn number 392, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. Let's stand, please, and sing to the Lord's praise. seated. What joy there is to know that as a believer we have, we have great foundation. We have great security that we know that it is well with our soul and that we are standing upon ground that is solid, the rock of our eternal salvation. And so, believer, rest in Him today. Know the joy and the peace and that security when so many things in life well, they seem to be uncertain and unsecure. You don't know when your feet may be taken out from under you. But yet our hope is not temporal. It is eternal. And we can rejoice in Him today. Let's bow, please, in prayer. Our loving Father and our gracious God, at the very beginning of our service, we pray for the help of the Spirit of God in our worship, in our praying, in the reading of Scripture, in every detail of this service, Father, we come to worship and to magnify and to praise the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, to exalt Your holy and high name. And we pray that this very day will be a high day, a special day, a day when we have met with our God a day when we know that the Word of the Lord has been stamped and written upon our hearts and we will receive practical instruction and we'll receive, Lord, to our very hearts the things that we have need of 
and that, Lord, we will once again prove the value and the efficacy of prayer. For as we come in Jesus' name to the throne in heaven, Lord, we know we are welcome. We know we have access at any time for any issue at all. And dear Lord, we come to humble ourselves this morning in Your great and holy presence. And we pray that You would have complete dominion over our lives. And that, Lord, we would not be willful, we would not be stubborn, we would not be resistant to the direction that You would lead us, but our hearts would be very open and soft, and we would be easily led in the direction that we are to go. Father, we are thankful for so many blessings, all the temporal things that we would gather together and put on the table and say, Lord, all of these mercies have come from Your gracious hand, and they are only indicators of a greater, far more expansive blessing that we have in our spiritual relation with Christ. And we know today it's well with our souls. We know we have a home in glory. And we know, Lord, that before very long we will be absent from this body of sin and we will be present with our Lord in glory forever. Dear Lord, come today and fill our hearts with joy. Fill us, we pray, afresh with godly zeal. Give to us a holy desire to live our lives to the honor of Christ. And Lord, again we pray to open up doors of ministry and service for us for the kingdom of Christ. Dear Lord, we today again bring the needs of those in our congregation in prayer. We're thankful for your hand upon our dear sister Joan, bringing her safely through the surgery. And now, Lord, in the time of her convalescing, that you would speed the healing process, that you would encourage her heart, and that she would know very much the presence of the Spirit of the Lord with her. She would feel the weight of our prayers for her at this time. And Lord, we have others in our congregation we pray for regularly, and we ask, dear Lord, for a very specific touch upon their bodies, that you would bless them. Remember Brother Cranston this morning. Touch his body and strengthen him. We pray also for Brother Bodner, that you would encourage his heart and lift him up and, and bless him abundantly and his dear wife as well. Our Father, as there are many needs in our congregation, some folks are looking for employment. They need a door open to them. And I pray that you would open a great door, a very special door in the center of your will. Others are seeking guidance and direction, perhaps for some family matter. Lord, hear and answer their prayer. And what about the prayers, Lord, that are offered for unsaved loved ones? Oh, God, bring in that harvest, we pray, 
save our unsaved family members and those that have drifted away. O God, draw them back to Yourself, we ask. Hear our prayer today and bless us. We commit this incoming week, Lord, this week that is devoted to prayer, a week that we want to give afresh into Your hands and pray, dear God, that You would meet with us every night from Monday to Friday for our seasons of intercession and prayer as we commit our work and the needs of our own hearts. Lord, may it be a time of great spiritual advancement and growth in Christ. Bless all of our church ministries. Bless all of our sister congregations. And Lord, may there be a time of great personal and congregational reviving that we would draw and be drawn closer and closer to our Savior. Father, hear our prayers today. We do not forget to pray for our nation. Do not forget to pray for our land. We are in great need, O God, of spiritual awakening and a reviving of the church of Christ in our nation. Lord, hear and answer our prayer. Confound those that are set against the gospel. Confound and overturn the forces of wickedness that are set against the advancing of the truth of Christ. And dear God, we pray that all of us will be strong in the Lord and in the power of Your might. So, Father, hear and answer our prayers, for we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Psalm 119f, please. The psalms are at the back of our hymnal. If you're using our book, and we will stand as we worship the Lord this time.
Well, the joy of knowing that Christ is the rock of our foundation and that He is that hope that we build on. Now, the opening line here, the Word of God is forever settled in heaven, and that is indeed the foundation and the truth that we have. We're going to read this morning in our congregational reading from the book of Jude. That small epistle just before the book of Revelation. The book of Jude, verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called, mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts In those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Corey. These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. 
raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. The Lord will bless His Word, as He always promises to do, to every heart today, as we have read. You are very welcome in the Lord's presence this morning in His house. We're thankful for your presence in person. And uh, those folks who are visiting, or maybe you've returned again, You're very welcome, and all who are visiting online today as well, we're happy that you are here with us. I want to thank you very much for your prayers for the weekend travel last weekend, as we had the great joy of being able to participate in the ordination service in Orlando. I brought a report Wednesday evening at our prayer meeting but it was a joy to be there, and I would encourage you to pray for Brother Logan Elder as he now has the harness of responsibility on him as he takes up the ministry and work in Orlando. Uh, I'm not sure who was preaching last Lord's Day there uh, because he had maybe some visitors, but I know he'll be starting and taking up that work as of today officially, and so we want you to encourage you to pray for him. And then had the joy also of being in the Dominican Republic in Santo Domingo in the city there for the ordination and installation of Brother Ramon Sosa. And that was a joyful uh, Lord's Day 
and it was a very special opportunity to see the congregation there, to be with the people, and to encourage them, let them know they're part of a larger body of folks who are praying for them and wanting to support them and help them. And so thank you very much for your prayers, and let's continue on to remember them before the Lord. We want to remember our sister Joan McCurcher today in, your, in our prayers. She has come safely through the surgery this past week and is making some progress, but is still, well, has a little ways to go as sometimes those surgeries can be very, very difficult. But if you would like to have any updates, well, you can speak to our brother Duncan or you can phone him at home and uh, get an update. And we, they, the family will let you know if there's occasion for visiting. But at this point, uh, we just, they just want to keep it to family members only. So remember, please, our sister Joan. I want to share with you the encouraging news regarding the Christmas card fund that we had set up for the work in Cordoba in Mexico City. And we have the final figures in, as some have come in yet in the month of January, but we want to dedicate the Christmas card fund. It came to $7,280, which is a tremendous encouragement because these, the offering and the appeal that we have for our Christmas card fund is really just an extra offering, something above and beyond your normal contribution. And uh, it was a great encouragement. So we'll be letting the mission board know and, and Brother Lalo Pena, who is the pastor in Cordoba in Mexico, and I'm sure they will be very, very encouraged by your generosity. And then when we had the deputation services for Mexico City, specifically that work, and Brother Jason Boyle toured across Canada, he and his wife and their two children. Well, the amount that has been brought in from that deputation meetings is just $60,000, and it is a tremendous encouragement. And I really want to encourage the folks here in our congregation because $29,000 was raised just from this church alone, and that is a great, a great blessing. And I challenge and thank you again uh, for your digging deep down into your pockets and giving to the Lord's work. And certainly when it rega it's regarding mission work, well, you've done above and beyond again. And so I want to encourage you and certainly to encourage all the other churches across Canada uh, who have contributed this. And those funds will be directed toward the building fund program that they have in Mexico City. So what a great encouragement that was. I have a word, a note here of greetings from our brother Schultz, Reverend Mila Schultz in the Czech Republic. And let me read this to you. Dear brothers and sisters in the Lord in the Toronto Free Presbyterian Church, we as the, the Free Presbyterian Church in the Czech Republic at the beginning of another year, want to express our deepest gratitude before the Lord for your continued prayerful and practical support of this ministry. It is much appreciated. We also remember you regularly before the throne of grace and pray the Lord would help you in fighting the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6.12, in these days of great declension. 
May the Lord our God be your refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, and may none of us be weary in well-doing. In Christ our Lord, Brother Milos Schultz and his family. And so that's an encouraging uh, report and a note of thanks uh, from the congregation here, for the congregation here. And let's remember the work in the Czech Republic on a regular basis. Well, the services today, let me remind you this afternoon, we have our time of prayer at 5.50 and then our evening service at 6.30. And I trust to bring the word again tonight to you. And also appreciate your prayers right after our service today at 1.30. I'll be on with the work in Cloverdale, the church in Cloverdale. And so thank you for your prayers regarding that. Also want you to take note that if you are getting the bits and pieces uh, periodical that uh, Dr. McClellan puts out, well, it's a weekly uh, update on the news items that are going on. Today is the 150th edition of that little news item, and I, I hope you'll read that on the line. It's very interesting. It's some good, uh, encouraging articles in there, so I encourage you to get hold of that and read it. Now, this incoming week is our annual week of prayer, and it's held the last full week of January. At least that has been our custom. So from Monday to Friday, we meet from 7.30 to 9 p.m., and we want to encourage you uh, to be out every night or at least have someone from the family out every night at the place of prayer and to hold up the needs of the work here of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and of course, the needs we have for our own individual lives. On Monday evening, we want to focus on personal reviving and just being in the right place that we need to be with the Lord in order to go on with Him. And so we want to challenge and make that time of prayer for personal reviving and blessing. And then on Tuesday night, we want to focus on the youth Sunday school ministries, young adults, and young people of our congregation. This is a pressing need, and we want not to leave out the youth in any way. We want to encourage them. We want to pray for them and pray with them. And so, young people, let me challenge you as well to make it a point to be out on Tuesday night. Well, I'd love to have you out every night, but definitely on Tuesday night that you might uh, hear the prayers of God's people for you, and that you might also be participating. Now, Brother Diderno is going to be bringing the Word on Tuesday night. Each night we're going to have a, a short Bible reading devotional, and then we're going to get right to prayer. We want to devote the entire week to that. On Wednesday evening, uh, Jill is going to be speaking as the principal from the Whitfield Christian Schools and bringing the prayer burden and the ministry that is very much in front of us. And she's going to present that as we bring that very vital ministry before God in prayer. Then on Thursday night, we want to remember the outreach ministries of our congregation and specifically praying for the salvation of sinners. That's been our burden. It is continually our burden. And we want to remember that. Then on Friday night, there will be, well, a time of thanksgiving and of praise. 
Now, we want to have a time of fellowship on Wednesday night afterward and then also on Friday night, so two nights, a time of fellowship afterwards for a cup of tea and fellowship. So, ladies, please take note of that. While we're thinking about fellowship times, next Lord's Day evening, the last Lord's Day of the month, will also be a time of fellowship after the evening service. So those are important ministry announcements that we're thinking about in this incoming week. Let's keep them all earnestly before God in our praying. And then a couple of advanced things. On the 31st of January, that's Tuesday, will be the next ladies' Bible study via Zoom, and that will be at 7 p.m. And here's an important thing. A time of outreach and fellowship, well, not outreach so much, but a time of fellowship, and that's going to be a congregational family skating time. And that will be on February the 11th. So you mark that date. That's a Saturday. And it's from 11.30 a.m., 11.30 until 12.30 for one hour at Canlan Sports. That's on Markham Road in Scarborough. And there will be a pizza lunch afterward back at the church here. Now, the cost is only $10 per person, and uh, we'd love to encourage as many families as possible. And if you are not so much a skater, but you still want to come to the arena and cheer on those who are skating, you're welcome to do that, and then come back to the church for a time of, of lunch afterward. That would be good. A great time, family and uh, friends can come along. It's an opportunity to invite others. Even uh, uh, you would like to see come along and just meet the church family. So that will be on February the 11th. The latest edition of our current magazine, which is the magazine of our denomination, is on the table at the back. And I want to encourage some of the younger boys and girls and part of our congregation who were winners of the children's crossword from the last time. We have a couple of folks from uh, Jamaica, the Gunnings children, and then we have Brianda Morris, Liam Rose, Jaden C., and Janelle C., all from the church here, and they were all prize winners for the children's crossword, and I encourage young people to get a hold of that and be a participate for the next one that is there. Those are all the ministry announcements I want to bring to you. And let's sing again to the Lord's praise, please, number 347. 347, and we will stand as we praise the Lord.
you turn, please, in your Bibles now with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, the first 16 verses. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. The Lord said unto him, Therefore whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. We'll ask the Lord's help now, please, in prayer. Father, we have the Word open before us now. And I pray 
that we would be settled and still in Your presence, and that every distracting thought would be taken away, and that, Lord, You would give us understanding, clarity in the Word, and that we would know the speaking voice, the Holy Spirit, revealing the truth, revealing Christ, revealing all the fullness and the holiness and majesty of our God to us. Lord, hear our prayer today. I ask in Jesus' holy name, amen. I want to speak to you this morning on the solemn subject of Cain, who went his own way and went out from the presence of the Lord. The desolation of rejecting God's way. The story of Cain and Abel, well, it has been repeated, analyzed, moralized, pondered, denied, and applied in every generation from the beginning. For those who deny the Bible, they say that this is simply a fable that may have a moral application. But to those who believe in divine inspiration, It records the first murder in human history. Some have categorized it as simply sibling rivalry. But that is the lowest and the weakest conclusion of this great crime. You know, from biblical commentators down to Shakespeare, from the historian to the movie maker, This account of the first fratricide recorded in the Bible, it's been riveted in culture and also in history as a bitter end of the hatred that was vented against another person, and in this case, a family member. The fallout of this act of wickedness by Cain has proved that the heart of man is capable of the worst crimes against fellow humans. It's paved the road for suffering and death motivated by jealousy, envy, greed on the one side, and by dominance and lust and pure thrill on the other. In the wake of this first violent act, it brought grief and agony to the home, so clearly depicted by an artist called William Bourgerot in 1888. He painted the first mourning, M-O-U-R-N, as Adam and Eve held the lifeless body of their son Abel. Cain, we know, was the firstborn child of Adam and Eve, 
and the murder of his brother, it revealed the depravity of his heart. He was the son of his father. And he gave clear evidence that apart from grace, the grace of God, this is the evil root that is in every human being. Now the reason Cain hated his brother, his offering to God was rejected. He brought her the fruit of the ground, an offering to God. And the question comes, why did God reject Cain's offering and accept Abel's? Abel brought of the lamb of the flock. And did you notice that part? It says, and of the fat thereof. In other words, Cain, or rather Abel, did not just bring a lamb and present the lamb as living, but he brought the lamb as a sacrifice, and he offered the fat of that animal unto God. The blood of that animal was shed. But that's the very point of why God accepted Abel's offering and he did not accept Cain's. They would have known that God required and revealed the exact type of sacrifice and offering that was to be made. The clear inference from God giving to Adam and Eve coats of skins after they had sinned to cover their naked bodies, that was on the physical side. But the shedding of the blood of those first animals to take the hide from them, to give them a coat, it was a picture of a covering of the spiritual nakedness that Adam and Eve had because of their sin. And so from that very first offering that was made, the message went out that the innocent would die for the guilty. And so that pattern of coming to God, that pattern of offering to God, was clearly known by Adam and Eve and by Cain and Abel. And the innocent dying for the guilty, it pointed toward the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. It was a picture showing how God was going to redeem fallen, sinful humanity. And friends, today, you and I can be very, very thankful that God has in mercy sent His only begotten Son, that we have today a Savior that has borne and taken away our sins. A.W. Pink, in his book, The Gleanings in Genesis, he comments this, To them he explicitly revealed his requirements, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve. And these requirements were made known by Adam and Eve to their children. It is beyond question that Cain and Abel knew that in order to come before Jehovah with acceptance, they must bring with them a bloody offering. The problem is that Cain decided to bring an offering that he considered acceptable. In other words, 
It was the product of his own mind. It was the determination of his own heart. It was the work of his own hands. And he reasoned that to be equally as good as that which Abel had brought of the lamb or he was commanded to bring. But he put something in place of what God had required and appointed. Now, we don't know anything about the sincerity of Cain's heart. We really don't know anything about the quality of his offering, apart from what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, that Abel's offering was more excellent than Cain. And that is a little indication that Cain did not just throw together anything He presented the very best that he could produce from his hands as he brought that offering unto God. But what happened was, it revealed in the rejection of that, it revealed his pride and his self-righteousness. It was the reaction that he had when it was told it was unacceptable. Instead of Cain humbling himself before God and saying, Oh, Lord, I I have made a mistake. Please forgive me of my mistake and let me correct that and go back and do the right offering. But his heart was filled instead with hatred. And that hatred was vented against Abel because God had accepted his offering. But ultimately, Cain's hatred was vented and directed against the God of heaven himself. Cain and Abel represent the only two classes of people in the world today. The lost and the saved. Those who are self-righteous and God-rejecting and those who are genuine believers in God and who have obeyed His Word. The one relies on their own good works or religious thinking. They rely on their moral standing. And the other relies fully upon the Lord by faith in His Word. And so Hebrews tells us, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. It was the motivation that drove Abel to bring the lamb of his flock, and the fat thereof. He was not governing himself simply by pure duty. He was not doing something merely because he thought this was a way of escape. But Abel was coming to God on the ground of faith. Faith in God's Word. Faith in God's promise. Faith that he would be accepted before the living God. On the ground of the offering of the blood of the innocent in type and shadow of the Redeemer that was to come. Oh, don't think for a moment that Adam and Eve did not tell their children about the promise that God gave to them. The seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent, and that seed will be the Redeemer of God's elect. Cain's offering showed that He denied his fallen 
nature, and that he really did not need to have a substitute for his sin, and that he could approach God on his terms, on his ground. He was not going to come to God on the ground that was prescribed by the Lord, but he was saying in his own pride, I can do this my way. And if God's going to accept me, He'll have to accept me on my terms. Cain found out that that was not going to work. He boasted himself on his own way. Very similar, you know the account of the Pharisee and the publican. And the Lord tells that account of the Pharisee standing and justifying himself before the Lord. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And I'm certainly glad I'm not like this guy because he presented his own righteousness. And if anyone is good to get to heaven, I certainly am that man. Cain brought of the ground. And that ground had been cursed by God because of sin. And he brought of his own works. And like the Jews that Paul cites in Romans chapter 10, He said, they went about to establish their own righteousness, and in so doing, they have rejected the righteousness of God. A clearer picture you could not have. As a result of Cain murdering his brother, God rendered judgment upon him. He would be a marked man for the rest of his life. He would be a fugitive and a vagabond. It's an English word that comes from a Latin word simply meaning to wander. He would be a wanderer, if not in body, most certainly in his spirit. And the final departure from God's presence is described by these chilling words of verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. And I say to you, are they not similar to the words that Christ spoke when He said, Depart from Me, I never knew you. And I pray that today as we consider this very solemn statement in the book of Genesis, that the Holy Spirit will impress its truth upon our hearts. If you are a believer in Christ today, that you will take these truths to your heart and lift your praise and thanksgiving to God for His great and everlasting grace in your heart. And friend, if you are without Christ here today, that these words would grip your soul. If you're watching online today and you're not a believer in Christ, that you would realize that going out from the presence of the Lord is everlasting damnation to your soul. So we mark these words in verse 16, that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. But how did he go out? I suggest to you in the first place that Cain 
went out willingly from the presence of the Lord. At first, he exclaimed that his punishment was too great for him to bear. To wander as a marked man, he would be the target for everyone that would come and rise up to kill him. And so the Lord put a mark. He branded him on his forehead. And that mark stayed with him, not just for time, but for all eternity. To wander, to be a marked man, always looking over his shoulder, not able to sleep peacefully, wondering if today would be the day that someone would rise up and kill me. You know, but with the solemn reality of going out from the presence of the Lord, there is every indication that He did so without too much protest. Indeed, after the shock of hearing that his sentence was given, he appears to have quickly taken his leave and departed. The very next verse indicates that to us. And he went out from the presence of the Lord to dwell in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. In many respects, he could not get away quick enough from the place where Adam and Eve and those who had clung to God by faith were living. They had made an establishment. They had made a settlement on the east of Eden outside the gate, and that's where they lived. You remember that God drove them from the garden because of their sin. He set up the two cherubim to guard the entrance to the tree of life. And there they began to have their settlement. But Cain was leaving that place and going from the east of Eden, leaving behind him all the memories of home, leaving behind him all the instruction of Adam and Eve that they had given to him about how you can get right with God, how you can approach God. But Cain was done with that. He had dusted his hands off. He was finished. He had murdered his brother. The blood of Abel was on his hands. He was guilty before God. And he left and went away from the Lord willingly. Cain is evidence of fallen human nature. He is the striking evidence of a man born in sin and shaped in iniquity. He is the fruit of a corrupt and poisoned tree. As much as the opposite of desiring God, such a person hates God. Such a person longs to be far from the restraint or the restriction of so-called morality or the moral restraints. He will His will was not the will of God. His desires were not God's desires. And when all the dust settled, he went out from the presence of the Lord with a willing heart. The Lord Jesus said to the Jews in his day, 
ye will not come to me that ye might have life. The will of those that had rejected Christ was the same heart that was in Cain that had rejected God's way in the beginning. And that pattern is in all those who are represented in humanity of the two great streams of those who are in the line of Cain and those who are in the line of the righteous who love Christ, who have been saved by His grace. The human heart does not want God. We are, we are all born enemies of the Lord. And there is no way that we can ever come to the point of blaming God who is holy and righteous for what has happened to us, for the sentence that is passed upon all men, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's abundantly clear that every single sinner has operated according to his own will and is guilty of rejection of God and the only way of salvation that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, I say to you today in this solemn word, if you are outside of Christ this morning, what excuses will you attempt to make before a holy God when you stand in His presence? Will you say that your sin was forced upon you? Will you say that you did not know enough to believe in Jesus? Will you say that if you only had a chance, you would have accepted Him? But think, friend, of the number of chances, opportunities, messages of salvation that you have heard or that have been presented to you. Think of the opportunities that God has given. And yet time and time again, those have been refused rejected, ignored. And at this point, you are willingly rejecting God's way of salvation. And in that sense, as Cain, you've gone out from the presence of the Lord. But in the second place, Cain went out unrepentant towards God. He left that place of worship, the place that to some degree symbolized the presence of God where his family was. There was no concern for the life he had taken by murder, nor was there any grief caused or sense of the grief caused to his parents nor for the monstrous offense against God Himself. There was no remorse or repentance in Him, for all of His interests were self-serving. He was a classic narcissist. His unrepentant heart was growing harder and harder by the moment. And this is the state of those that have replaced God with self. The fact that Cain never gave even a superficial apology 
for slaying his brother, it sets him in a class even distinct from Judas Iscariot. Because at least Judas Iscariot came to the point where he said, I have betrayed innocent blood, but not Cain. Cain had betrayed innocent blood as well, but he had no thought of remorse, no thought of repentance, no thought of seeking God for his crime. He was an unrepentant man. And as with most who are found guilty of some heinous crime, they appease themselves with justifying arguments. In other words, I had no choice. What else could I do? I mean, he did this, therefore I did that. And men and people will always justify themselves for committing a violent act, for thievery, for immorality, whatever the case may be, because ultimately the pride of heart will justify the sinner and he will go about his own life, his own way. It was brought upon them by the behavior of my brother or my neighbor or by some other excuse. An unrepentant heart, my dear friends, today is a self-justifying heart. And so was Cain, and so is every sinner who refuses to repent. Like all who follow in that line, they do not see either the nature of their sin, nor the amount of it, nor that they have any sin really at all. I shared in our prayer meeting a couple weeks ago about a man I spoke to not long before. He was a man who was doing a job for me, and after the job was finished, I paid the man. We talked for a few moments, and I asked him about family, about occupation, and then I asked him if he was a man, gave any thought to the things of faith or of, of the Bible. And his response was, no, he didn't give any credence or heed to those things. He lived by his own set of rules, and that was a being a good guy, being a good person, a good neighbor, treating people fairly. And he did not believe he needed to have religion per se because, he went on to say that, well, look at what the religions of this world have done. And he said, there are so many anyways, how would you know which one is the right one? When I asked him about his own personal sin and how he would account for that, he said, I, I, don't, I don't even agree with that. He said, I'm, I, I always do what is, right, what is right to my neighbor and friend and family. And he was a nice guy, there's no doubt about it. And he treated me fairly in the transaction that we had. He believed he was all right. He ultimately believed that there was no sin against his life that would be worth any kind of punishment. So here was a man who built himself up in his own self-righteousness. He justified himself before God. What that man was doing was bringing the offering of Cain. He was bringing the fruit of his own good works, and he was presenting them before a holy God and saying, this will do. Accept me on these grounds. 
And I tried to tell them, friend, that will not do because you fail to see how you have broken God's law and how you are accountable before your Creator. The Lord has a very different estimation of the heart of men than men do themselves. The Lord said the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. There is none that is righteous, no, not even one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And on top of that, the soul that sins, it shall die. And the death will be a death of eternity. Every imagination of the heart of man was only evil continually before God brought the flood of waters upon the world in Noah's day. And so clear was the need for repentance of sin and of seeking God for salvation that the very first message that our Lord Jesus Christ preached when He began His ministry was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so our Lord Jesus said that's the greatest need of humanity is that you've got to deal with your sin question before God. You must repent of your sin. This command is still valid today. And this is what the Lord requires of every single person. I ask you, friend, today, have you honestly and openly repented of your sin before God, not to a priest or a preacher, any other person, but to the Lord Himself, confessing your sin and seeking the Lord because if not, you are in the same category of Cain who went out from the presence of the Lord willingly and he went out without repenting. In the third place, this man went out from God with no direction at all. There was no longer any leading of God in his life. There was no longer any instruction to map out how he was to get from earth to heaven. There was now silence under that man. And a silence without direction, without hope. Cain departed, we are told, from God and dwelt in the land of Nod. The meaning of that word is simply wandering. It was an uninhabited wilderness that he went to. How it got its name is unknown, but Nod was descriptive of that condition of those who left the place where God was close to Eden. He took with him his wife, and he began a new life, free, oh, liberty, free from God, free from all the restraints, free from all that religious stuff. He was now free to live his life as he chose. And he had a son, called his name Enoch. And Enoch, it means dedicated. And he built a city. And he called the city after his son's name Enoch. In other words, he dedicated the city to Enoch because Enoch he had dedicated to his life and name and family. 
And it appears in every front that now that Cain had gone out, he was beginning to develop himself, a life for himself, uh, a generation that would bear his name, those that would be built up in making a great society. And so he formed and made a city. And those that of his family gathering around him, they developed very quickly and a city was formed. And this tells us that Cain went out with a life and was industrious. He was prosperous in many ways. And he had an interest of making a name for himself. And the city was a city that was named and God was not in it. It's interesting, this is the very first city recorded in the Bible. And it was a city that God was not involved with in the designing of it, in the government of it, or in the policy making of that city. And we are well aware of where all that can lead to as we look around us in our own civilization. Cain was a leader in organizing society, but it was a society without God at all, not at the center, not in the periphery. Industrious, yes, very much so. Innovative, yes. Long-range infrastructure planning, yes. All those things were true. But it was all apart from God, and the Lord was not there. And it only points out that a man left to his own devices will always seek to build an earthly city, a temporal city, with all the attraction and all the intention and all the infrastructure built on one purpose, to make a name for himself on this earth. And would wealth come to them? Undoubtedly. And we look around us today, and you can see the great entrepreneurs, the great business people of this world, they have more money than they know what to do with. They are rich beyond measure. And their building of earthly empires, that is all they have. Because that is their full and total intention. They're in the line of Cain. And they're in the way that they are going. They are seeking an earthly home. Ah, but my friends, they are not seeking anything to do with eternity. But what contrast you have in Abraham? Because we are told that Abraham, a man of faith, he sought for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. He sought not for earth, but he sought for heaven and eternity. He sought not for time, but he sought unto the living God. He had something of greater value to invest in because everything on this world and earth will be burned up and consumed. The line of Cain, the unrighteous, and the Christ rejecting, they have no real thought of heaven. They blindly lay up treasures in earth where depreciation and corruption, and finally destruction, will take its course. Those who wander from God are left to their own way. They must plot their own course. 
They must go by their own light. But it's not toward heaven. Not the hope of reaching an eternal destination. They have their reward now. They have their reward now. Some have their wealth and their real estate. Some have it all mapped out for their retirement. Some only have the clothes on their back and hardly knowing where their next meal will come from. What they have in common is the pride of their heart and the rejection of the living and true God. They are wandering from the Lord with no direction from Him at all. Is it not time, my dear friend, to come home unto God? Is it not time to seek the Lord with all your heart? If you're an unbeliever today, if you're watching online and you're outside of Christ, ask yourself that question. Is it not time to seek unto the Lord while you have your life and cry out from your soul, Lord, save me, I perish. One final thought here today in this very solemn word. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord eternally without God. An earthly wandering without God is bad enough. But what can be said to leave this life and go out into forever with no hope and no assurance, and no peace, no forgiveness of sin? There's a writer for the New York Times. His name is George Yancey. He interviewed a prominent atheist called Todd May, going back October the 20th, 2020. The subject matter was, how should an atheist think about death? Todd May is himself a professed atheist, though more moderate, I suppose, in the vitriol that sometimes comes out of those who are professed atheists. But he said this, I believe with some of the existentialists that we're not here for any particular cosmic reason or purpose. We just show up, live our lives, and then die. But he went on to say, it is important to note that because we can die at any time, that the threat is a constant one. We live under the shadow of death, he wrote, he said. We live under the shadow of death. Todd May went on to describe eternity, immortality. He said, if it does exist, he went on to describe it this way. He said, imagine a desert the size of the Sahara. Every 10,000 years, a bird comes along and plucks a single grain of sand from the desert. By the time the Sahara 
has been cleared, not a single flicker of immortality would have passed. Now, friend, if a a Christian had described eternity that way, and in other words, to flee from hell because of that, you would say, well, okay, I get it. But here is a professed atheist who does not believe there is any purpose to this life really. He believes we are, we are born, we live our life, and we die, and that's it. There is no supernatural entity in any dimension. And yet this man describes eternity in the way he did of a bird every 10,000 years taking a grain of sand from the Sahara until all the Sahara is cleared from its sand and the light of eternity has not even flickered once? Yes, friend. Eternity. He said he was pretty sure that there was no after life. A man who believes he is under the shadow of death but has chosen his own course of life, who denies the existence of the supernatural in any and all its forms, is a clear example of a man who has gone out from the presence of the Lord, having rejected the evidence of nature that points to a divine Creator. At least, we could say, of Cain, he believed in God, Cain was not an atheist. Cain knew there was a God, all right, for he talked with him. But he still went his own way, and he still departed and wandered from God, and he went out willfully, and he went out eternally. In the case of this man, Mr. Todd May, There is still hope for that man because he is still alive. Is it good for Christians to pray for those who have professed themselves to be atheists? Absolutely it's good to pray that way. To pray that God's Spirit would arrest the hearts of men while there is still life and hope and time. We don't know what God's dealing will be in the life of any of these people. But the Lord knows those that have crossed that line those that God has given over to a reprobate mind, and those that have gone in the way of Cain. That's what we read in the book of Jude. Those that have traveled, progressed, determined to go in the way of Cain. And what was the way of Cain? The way of Cain was outside and away from God. So what about you, friend? Where will you spend eternity? Eternity that can never be spent. Where will you be in eternity? Do not follow the way of Cain. For Jude tells us that Cain is in hell today. And so what is the answer? What's the solution? What is the hope? Well, the hope is that you can repent of your sin. You can call upon the Lord Jesus right now. You can know that He is the only hope for your eternal soul. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? 
That rhetorical question has the answer. There is nothing He can give. And so therefore, the call is to flee unto Christ. The Lord Jesus is the only answer for your soul. His death upon Calvary's cross is the only remedy and the only way we can be rescued. And friend, I say to you today, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. May God's Spirit work deeply in your heart and draw you to Him today. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's bow before the Lord. Father, take this word today from the Scripture and write it upon every heart. I pray, Lord, that we would know the solemnity, the certainty, the urgency to be about the Master's business. The hour is late and souls are perishing. And I pray, Lord, that we would take every opportunity given to us by Your divine providence and purpose. And that, Lord, You would take away from us the fear of man that brings a snare. Rather, we would go boldly in the confidence of our Savior, witnessing and sharing in the joy and peace of what we have in Jesus. Lord, work today in salvation, we ask. In Jesus' holy name, amen.